What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Legion OST DIY Outdoors podcast. Coming to you live tonight. It's Tuesday night. I'm really excited about this guest, Joe. I'm thrilled that you are willing to come onto the podcast and uh, you know spend a couple hours or an hour of your night tonight. <laughs> and uh, you know, let's let's kick this thing off. Joe, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell me where you're from? Yeah, thanks, Andy. Uh, my name is Joe Flores. Everybody. Uh, I am uh, from around the United States. Uh, I come from a military family, so I did a lot of traveling growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm uh, 41 and going on uh, 57 or 60. <laughs> <somewhere in there>. <laughs> <laughs> Hunting has weathered your soul. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to the extreme, I, I uh, on a recent... Uh, on a recent event, a recent outing, actually going to Alaska, I came down with shingles. And, you know, when I tell people that I got shingles, I didn't know what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, to get so, shingles, you had to have chicken pox first, right? Or is yes. That, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. That's what I was told. And, and <laughs> you know, when I, when I got this, like, patch of skin on my back that became irritated, I thought it was, like, like a bee sting, uh-huh. like genuinely, I was like, "Damn, I got stung by a bee!" And then I had to get on a plane because I didn't get, I didn't go and like immediately seek um, medical help because, like, you know, for me, I've been stung by bees before. I know I'm not anaphylactic where I need an EpiPen or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I get on the plane, I'm like, "Ah, no worries, I can, I can man it up." You know, bee sting, no big deal. I got I get this. On, I got this. Get in, get in Anchorage and next thing you know like two days into anchorage like the people that i was with are like you don't look so good oh wow (laughs) thank you for that and they're like no 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 seriously you don't look good (laughs) (laughs) no this isn't happening (laughs) yeah i'm like oh crap and then it's the day of us getting on a bush plane and like we got to go north from Alaska into another town uh-huh. where we land, and then we get on a jet boat, and then it's like, like you know, as I'm landing into this remote town that is like 400 miles from the nearest medical facility, like that's when the symptoms started getting worse. No way. And I didn't know it was shingles, like you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's you were still just I'm trying like, to figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I'm I'm looking back on it now, going like, you know why didn't I just like go to the doctor really quick? You know what I mean? Like had I just taken that like five minutes and well, obviously, you know, going to the hospital is longer than five minutes, but had I not just done that in Anchorage, you know, I didn't want to go to an ER cause like, I'm sorry, but I'm not made out of money. <laughs> uh-huh. I, you know, I, I work for a living and, um, you know, I, I there at one point, um, a few months ago, I had two jobs. Uh, I was working graveyard as well just to make ends meet and pay for the bills. And, uh, yeah, so anyways, long story short, uh, I should have went to the hospital. <laughs> so uh, don't be stubborn. 
go to the hospital, people. Like, if you were coming down with an illness, take that 10 minutes if you can't afford it, you know, figure some way out to get medical attention. Especially before you're going on a serious trip for work. Exactly. <laughs> for work. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. What was it? Do you remember when you had chicken pox? Oh, yes. I was, I was probably eight-ish or so. I, I re- the only thing I remember about chicken pox was being in a bathtub filled with oatmeal. Uh-huh. And then milk. And that's like <laughs> and then, That was it. That's all I remember <laughs> chicken pox. And it was like super itchy and like I remember putting oatmeal. I thought it was between like eight and ten mm-hmm. around there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh <sighs> we had just we just got back from Germany and um I got chicken pox. So it was it was it was a I remember it not being fun, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely not a fun time. <laughs> so here we are talking about chicken pox and shingles in, in this <laughs> podcast. This is your public service announcement, people. <laughs> Go to the doctor, get checked up, don't get yeah. stressed out, and chicken pox suck. Yes, that's right. Um, okay, so cool. So you were saying you grew up in a military family... You traveled all over growing up. You said you were just coming back from Germany. Um, what was that like for you? Like, where, where, whereabouts have you lived? Like, what's, you know, what's the background on that? Gosh, okay. So, I was born in a Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, the only reason why I was born at an Air Force Base, because my dad is in the Army, um, well, retired now. Um, the only reason why I was born there was because my mom when she was pregnant was they were stationed in frankfurt germany and when it came close to her being time to deliver me Mm -hmm. um my dad put her on a plane uh the next plane into the united states so that way i could be born in the united states um, was to homestead air force base so when she landed she was there for a week and then she had me (laughs) and uh yeah. So after I was born, um, they waited a couple of days and then they flew back to Germany. And that's where I lived for uh, six years of my life. And uh, the first six years there was in Germany. I spoke really good German, and which was funny because after that period, we had he was done being deployed and, and we flew back to uh, Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina there. And uh yeah, started school and in elementary school there, and, and first couple of years was in Fort Bragg. And um, during that time period is when we invaded the United States, invaded Panama, and uh-huh. uh, that was back in the eighties. And my dad is part of the eighty second Airborne there, where uh, they do the static line jumps. Yeah. And um, when they were going in, um. You know, they throwing him out of the C-130s at uh, low elevation. Well, he had gotten um, tangled up with another person. So somebody came in above him, and because it was a nighttime drop, they came in hot, and they didn't see him. Mm-hmm. And so their shoes got tangled, and they started to free fall and tumble. And at 1,500 is when your reserve automatically deploys if, you know, it senses velocity and all that other stuff, whatever goes on. Um so he pulled his deploy. He, I'm sorry, he pulled his reserve, mm-hmm. and uh, it slowed. It didn't fully deploy, but it deployed enough to slow them both down. And oh, wow. unfortunately, the guy 
who was above him was now below him and he uh, on impact perished and then my dad when he landed he broke both of his ankles he broke his back mm-hmm. and um, as soon as they land like they, they uh, medevac them out into Florida and that is when um, the first that I had heard of it was when my mom said we got to make it we got to go on a trip to go see daddy and and uh, this was when I was like 11 or so yeah. 11 years old and uh, went and saw my dad. And that was the first time I'd ever seen him in the hospital with like an exoskeleton where they had the, the halo on the head with like the bars sticking into his skull. Uh-huh. He had like these giant like metal beams, if you will, like around his legs. And they fused his ankles in a 90 degrees so that way they thought that he could walk again. Um, at, at first they were saying he wasn't going to walk again. Uh, come to turn out that uh, everything had, had had happened and uh, my mom was like, you know, we're going on another road trip. We're going to go see grandma. So we moved in with my grandma and here in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so my parents got divorced shortly after that. And uh, my mom had remarried uh, into a, uh, another military, uh, basically family and um, did more traveling. Yeah. So uh, went from Washington State in Moses Lake to uh, Fort Lewis and then Fort Riley and then um, basically traversing the United States, like going from Minnesota to Oklahoma to Texas, back to North Carolina, um, and then back to Washington State. And uh, as, I, as I'm growing up, you know, I've traveled and, and switched schools quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of one of those things where I didn't grow up in a hunting family and it not having the opportunity to hunt. Um, one of my memories from my father before the incident was him taking me out, um, off base there in, in Fort Bragg. Um, there's at the time it wasn't fully developed like it is now. Yeah. And so there were fields where like, you know, the deer were running around and, and, um, he took me with his uh, recurve bow, and at the time, I didn't know what we were doing out there, honestly. <laughs> here, here it is, him taking his son out, me, and, and I'm looking back on it like, you know, uh, I had a conversation with him like, hey, Dad, why are, we, why are we out here with this bow and arrow, you know, when you have your rifle? Like, I know what an M16 does. Like, you know, why not just shoot the deer with an M16? And at the and he kind of smacked me up the back of the head and it's just the way his nature is. And he's, he's pretty stern, stubborn yeah. guy. Yeah. Now I know where I get it from, but <laughs> <laughs> runs in the family. Exactly. <laughs> and so he's like, he's like, you know, it, it takes a little bit more skill to hunt with a bow and arrow than it does to just shoot something. And yeah. so that's his mentality, you know, and, and me, I don't think that way at all. Like yeah. I genuinely believe that as a hunter, it doesn't matter your skill set, whether you're using a firearm or a bow and arrow, it's still difficult. Yeah, it's always a challenge for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so, what yeah, I traveled you, a lot, you know, so. Well, what was that like getting to experience your first hunt with a traditional bow and, and kind of being side by side with him? What was the impact on you, do you think, looking back on it you now? Know, looking back on it, he planted the seed. 
Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. He planted the seed of, of hunting in me. And unfortunately, it didn't get to him and I didn't get to to kind of nurture that and, and expand on it. But he did something for me that I'm very grateful for now. And that was giving me the opportunity to like be out in the woods and, and with him and, um, you know, when he was healthy. So I do, I do cherish that moment. And it's something that I actually look when I take my children out now, uh, mm-hmm. my oldest is 10, her name is Kimi and, and she has been hunting with me and scouting and, and, I feel, I feel such a, um, a sense of, of pride and happiness giving that opportunity to my girls. And, you know, my boy Riker, he's young now and he's, he's six. He's gone with me a couple of times out scouting, uh-huh. but it, it, it doesn't quite set in until they're just a little bit older and, as I was. Yeah. You know, and look back on it it's like i remember that but i was just a little bit older than him and so i'm you know taking kimi out i know she's going to remember these memories and so i want to make sure that i give her as much education as possible while i am here on this planet and i'm able to provide that for her you know because you know i could be driving down the road and freaking semi t-bones me and that's it you know mm-hmm. right <laughs> so for me as a parent want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm taking the, those moments that I do have my children and I have that opportunity to educate them in a manner where I can, you know, I just want to make sure it's in a positive light and, and yeah. sharing experiences as much as possible. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's so, you know, cause I mean, I remember growing up with my father and going <laughs> out hunting with my dad, my dad, you know, I grew up and every time that, uh, the first, actually, I will say the first deer that I ever saw my father kill he killed with a traditional bow. He was a contractor, so he'd make his own traditional bows. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I can totally relate to that feeling of, you know, walking alongside out in the forest with my dad and and uh, kind of just taking in the whole experience. Where at the time, I had no idea. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I was like not even relatable. You know what I mean? But now looking back on it, especially after hearing you talk about it, I didn't even think about it until you really just brought it up. You know what I mean? And and uh, that's awesome. And now that you get to go out with your kids and share the experience with your kids, you know that's. I mean that is there a is there an age limit in Washington? that kids can start hunting big game or like I hear in California, you can't hunt big game until you're 12. So the state of Washington, how they work it is, is if you are going to archery hunt, you have to pull back a minimum of 40 pounds. Uh Uh, Modern firearm. You have to be proficient with that firearm by passing a field course. So you have to prove proficiency. Correct, exactly. And they do that in two ways. They have um, a twenty-two, and then they have a clay pigeon with a 20-gauge shotgun. Uh-huh. And now, these field courses, um, there's two different – the state of Washington. So uh, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. Right. That's okay. That's okay. We can, we, can, we can talk about this. We'll come back to more of it later too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there is a proficiency test. There's two different styles of field course. There is a uh, one where they're actually using live fire ammunition, and then there's one where they're not. They're using inert firearms. Uh-huh. And those are more of um, they will pass you as an instructor. They will. It's our responsibility to make sure that the public is cognitive of their muscle control and 
as an instructor, when you are around somebody for five or ten minutes and you watch these people handle those firearms, in or, firearms. exactly, you know, you can tell who is confident with that firearm and you can tell who just needs a little bit of help and then you can tell somebody who obviously has never handled a firearm in their life. Wow. And, See, and so – Go ahead. Yeah, and so for for me as an instructor, I want to make sure that I'm passing people with the utmost respect for the general public. And yeah. the state of Washington has granted me that privilege, so I'm not going to infringe upon that in mm -hmm. any means. So I'm not going to pass anybody who isn't cognitive of their firearm or doesn't show or expand on that. So, you know, if I see somebody who's failing with it, like, I mean, I've – I have genuinely failed other instructors' children yeah. because they just weren't up to par. Yeah, and I'm I'm not trying to like, you know, say oh you know, everybody needs to fit the standard, but these are other people's lives that are at stake as well. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be so adamant about it had I not been shot at yeah. while out hunting. Right. It's it is genuinely like I, I i feel that if i'm not doing my due diligence by giving my time to the public to educate them as well as help them that to a manner where i would want to hunt i would want them to hunt next to me there's there's no way that i would pass them yeah so i i, I feel that as us collectively as hunters we need to put in our time uh to kind of educate and make sure that we are instilling these standards, if you will, right. and, and ethical hunting methods to where it's like, okay, here's this person that I have never met before, but they have taken the time, they've educated themselves, they're mm -hmm. taking our class, it depends on whether it's online or through a six-day course. Yeah. Wow, your courses and, are six days. Is that like two hours a day or – so it's split up into actually um, four-hour days for six days. Oh, okay. And and the reason is is because we we'll touch on topics during the curriculum. Yeah. Um, and then we'll expand on it to kind of give either personal stories or give them more time <clears throat> with uh, hands-on with the firearms. Yeah. And so um, we have a table set up where we have a variety gamut of firearms. You know yeah. from rifles bolt action break action you know and lever action rifles that you know most of these people have never seen before and now is their opportunity to get their hands on them you know work the action figure out teach them where the safeties are and then you know get them proficient so we take that curiosity out of it yeah and it works really well with children as well so do you guys so like for us when we're teaching hunters education here in california we get issued orange guns that are non-op right we yeah. can't we can't do live fire exercises we have to yep. use dummy rounds you know there is no i mean we have to um the kids and adults all have to demonstrate proper know-how of using a firearm you know operating safety you know unloading and uh, and reloading and everything like that but yeah I really like the fact that when you get to work with somebody, you get to see how they actually work 
with a loaded firearm, you get to see their trigger control, you get to see their muzzle control, you get to see, because like, I mean, I get to see yeah. that, you know what I mean? But at the right. same time, at the end of the day, it's a neon gun that has a plastic round in it that could never have a live round in it. So the, it's very hard to convey the certainty of death for anything in front of that firearm when it goes off right. without it being actually loaded with something that can cause imminent right. death. If that makes yeah. sense. It, it really does. Yeah. You know, you know and, I mean? and it's hard. Yeah. A hundred percent because, you know, we have people that, that take the online class and then the field course for the online class is only four hours long. Yeah. So they, they have one chance to come to this class and actually pass it with flying colors yeah. you know i would want to get more towards the you know we're kind of going off on a tangent here with the hunter's <laughs> education i love hunters education. we're gonna go I, back I'm, around for sure yeah we'll go back around <laughs> i uh you know the what's funny is the hunting story behind me being a hunter's education instructor um was part of my first experience in hunting yeah I just, you know, like I said, I don't come from a hunting family. Well, you've done it all My, yourself, man. I mean, and we'll get into all that, but like you're complete 100% yeah. DIY with everything that we talked about. And you've told me like you blew my mind with a bunch of the stuff you're telling me. I'm really excited to hear about it. Yeah. I, and I love, I love sharing anything that I've learned with the general public as much as I can because yeah. I feel like if I have something that you don't know, like, you know, education is, is critical to be successful, yeah. especially in the field. Like, you know, and there's a guy here who I went hunting with a couple of times. Um, he owns a, a brewer, like a brewery distribution business here in Spokane, Washington. And um, he's like, he's like, man, yeah, I listen to this podcast and blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, if we do this, this and this, and it's going to work out great. <laughs> And then I'm like, I, if I, only I, it were that easy. Yeah, that's that's what I told him. And like, you know, there's, there's, yes, you're going to learn stuff from podcasts. Absolutely, 100%. You will. I, I can guarantee you. But it, it's how it's applied in the field and how you do it versus what the other animals are going to do is also going to be different. So. Yes, you're going to get a general knowledge, but that's not set in stone, bro. Right. <laughs> like you're going to expand from it. And that's the whole point of, of listening to podcasts is to get those experiences and then make them your own. And then apply them. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That's what that's what I like about podcasts now. Yeah. You know, before I was like, are you kidding me? That's a load of wash. Like, I don't want to listen to some <laughs> old dude talk about his family and this and that. And like, like, yes, it's cool to hear that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be naive. It's 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 um, I want to hear about the meat and potatoes. Like, you know, I want to know, you know, why thermals are important. I want to know, you know, what wind direction, how that plays into you know, you being in a successful shot opportunity, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, you know, these things that are, they don't teach you in hunter's education. Yeah. Practical There's application. No exactly. Like, yeah. you know, what's the point of, you know, where do you actually aim for an animal after it, it is, you know, I mean, like, these are the things like for me, I always aim where I want the arrow to exit. Right. And that's just, you know, for some people that's common knowledge. Yeah. I was never told that. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, 
I don't. I learned early on watching hunting TV shows on like major networks mm-hmm. was not to make me a successful hunter. <laughs> no, it's just to kill time. <laughs> <laughs> so mm, uh, we're, let's let's dive into. So you live in Washington now. Yes, obviously, yeah. and you're a hunter's education instructor. Yes, right. and um, yeah. So now you live in Washington. You also you work out of Colorado as well, correct? Yeah, um, my girlfriend Sarah. We um, started a company together because we've been um, together now for going on four years, mm-hmm. um, off and on collectively four years, and and. She is uh, graduated um, in Colorado with a degree in photography, and yeah. that's kind of how we hit it off. Like we, you know, we just kind of one of those things that developed over time between us, and and we actually took a class in Seattle in photography together. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. We, is that uh, how you guys met, or did you meet? You met prior to that? We met prior to that. We oh, met okay. in Portland, and um, we met in Portland and. Oh man! Like the first time we met was was, it it was like. It was one of those instances where it's difficult to tell the story because uh-huh. there's, tragedy involved. Oh really? <laughs> and I I can look back and laugh on it now, but in the moment it was like, oh my god, this girl might die on me. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So, we um. She's from Colorado. She had flown in, flew in to Portland, and I was working there. And um, I'm like, you know, hey, you know, would you like to meet up for coffee and stuff? And and she's like, yeah, sure. So, uh, long story short, we hit it off. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go up to Punchbowl Falls and do a hike. You know, if you want to come with, if you have time. And she's like, yeah, I've got time. You know, my plane doesn't leave until like 2 p.m. And this is like, you know nine in the morning so punchable falls from the airport's not very far away so i'm like okay cool so we're going on this hike and we're back there i'm we're i'm talking like it's a solid mm-hmm. hour hiking okay and it's beautiful you know springtime it's just awesome so we get to punchable falls and she takes her boots off and then she's walking around in the river yeah, I'm, I'm looking at her, and then there's a couple other people there because you know it's fairly early. There's you know it's not packed, um, and I'm just taking photographs, and and then like I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, these are rocks, these are sharp rocks in there, I think. And so when I see her take her boots off, I'm like, oh, she'll probably be all right. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> and then ten minutes later, I hear Joe, Joe, I need you to come here, and I'm like, what? And she goes come here so she's waving me into the river i'm like okay and so she didn't want to tell me but she had sliced her big toe open oh my god on a sharp rock in the river so and i was like i'm like how bad is it so she lifts her toe up or lifts her foot up and i see her toe it is like down to the bone bro oh no yeah and i'm like oh crap so I'm freaking out and I'm keeping my stuff together because I'm like, okay, I can't freak out in front of her because that's going to make her panic. And then, you know, obviously shock's going to set in like, you know, Trump and that's like, okay, I got to keep my shit together, get her out of here quickly. So I help her back out of the water and uh, I set her down. I had a flask of whiskey 
uh, in my backpack. <laughs> and so I pull the flask out and give it to her. I'm like, here, start drinking this. <laughs> There's a uh, two people. Um, thank God they were medics. Uh, one was a nurse. The other was, a, I think, a doctor or something like that. But they had uh, met. Uh, they had a medical kit with them. And so uh, they they saw what had happened and they saw her toe. And so they immediately came over and they were just started helping right away. And so I'm having her like just pound my flask of like straight whiskey. And uh, we get we get her toe bandaged up put her back in the boot and we're like just kind of slowly but quickly going back down the trail and everything like that but by the time i got her in the car um i'm like okay we're going to the hospital she goes no i'm not going to the hospital i'm like what mm-hmm. she goes yeah i have to make my plane i'm like oh shit no this <laughs> so, is crazy this is crazy <laughs> so i get her take her to the take her to the airport and uh I, I walk her to her flight and and her foot is like in in its boot and it's she's like I'm okay you know she's kind of staggering a little bit you know from the whiskey but I mean like it's get her gave her some uh, ibuprofen as well mm-hmm. she's she Sarah is an amazing woman and yeah. so you know I'm I'm over here saying all these these things about her like you know she's drinking whiskey that's she's not an alcoholic or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> something to numb the pain you know what I mean yeah and, right. uh, yeah. So it. So yeah, that was that was our first experience together. <laughs> oh wow! So you guys have but, been doing yeah. photography together for four or five years. You started a company called yeah. Flip Tent Media. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now, what kind of business have you guys created out of it? Like, what are you guys doing as far as uh, photography and and you know oh, what kind of yeah. moments are you guys capturing together? Yeah, we love we love doing um, live media shoots and you know with family portraiture sessions. You know, it's one of those things like um, we also do a lot of product photography as well. Um, uh-huh. So, Bowhunter Box Club, um, when Jason was first starting out in Texas, um, I was at the time doing photos for Outdoor Box Club, and so um, I was doing the product photos for them. And, and I approached Jason right out the gate. Like, you know, I just saw that he was starting up and I'm like, Hey, you know, is it cool if I do your photos? And, you know, he's like, oh, I'll think about it. And about a couple days later, he, he came back and approached me. He's like, yeah, I think, I think I'll take you up on your offer. And um, so I helped him get started with a uh, bow box club and did that for, I think probably a solid year for the first year starting out. Oh, wow. And yeah, that kind of helped, um, jumpstart a lot of my other product photography stuff as well um mm-hmm. since then we've done a lot of local companies uh, laura's candies and estes park colorado um gosh toby's barbecue over here in uh, eastern washington mm-hmm. um did some social media stuff for kuyu um did uh oh man it, it, it's it's expanded quite a bit um in the archery shop that i was just at when i was talking with you earlier today uh spokane valley archery yeah i've done social media stuff for them as well and it's just something that we enjoy doing together and um with her stuff hers is is phenomenal she's a really great landscape and portraiture photographer and, really? and a lot of her stuff film like you know you know we don't we don't look at film anymore because technologies evolved so well that you know our digital cameras are so instant gratification but you know you put her in a film room and some of the stuff that she's developed 
like that she's taking me. You're like, wow, this is sick. <laughs> 35 millimeter of such a soft spot for it, man. Oh, dude, it's so cool. Yeah, dude, you get me under a under an easel and, and start burning in skies and playing around with it, dude. It's so many options. It's so much more right? difficult, but there's so many options. Yeah. Yeah. That's epic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where our photography has evolved to is, is lifestyle media. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, it's going out with people um, just doing their thing. Uh, athletes, um, people fishing, cowboys, um, did a couple rodeos, um, which is really cool. But, man, those I tell you, there's no way you get me on a bull, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was just in Oklahoma at a rodeo, dude, doing the same thing. It was so much fun. It is cool, yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's, I feel like that's almost similar to hunting. Some of that stuff is kind of being like the numbers of people actually doing it, enjoying it, have seemed to be kind of going down in numbers, which yeah. is sad. You know, this is something that, you know, people have done for thousands of years, you know? Yeah. Wrang wrangled cattle, gone right. hunting, doing these outdoor things. And now we're all boxed up in these two by four stick figures well, with windows on. I'm, I'm right there with you though man i ain't trying to ride no bull <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> no way i'll open a shoot but i won't i won't ride a bull <laughs> yeah i hear you right so what kind of cameras do you guys shoot um right now we're a canon <clears throat> um she's six she's got a 6d mm -hmm. and uh 24 to 105 millimeter lens and um when I shoot weddings or stuff like that. I use a Canon Mark IV mm -hmm. with a 24 to 70 uh, L Series 2 lens and then a 70 to 200 uh, L Series 2 lens. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. You know, various flashes. Yeah, various flashes, the Canon 600 EXTs. Uh -huh. something, something with remote trigger just to give you that flexibility of not being tethered. Yeah. <clears throat> Got to have mobility. Mobility is like such, such a critical key, especially with lifestyle photography and um, you know, being able to identify you know, your subject quickly and knowing what they're going to do and, and um, predicting their movement yeah. and in order to capture that shot is kind of something that I, I enjoy doing. It's like, okay, you know, I've seen them do it once, twice now, and now I want to try and time it effectively, make sure I capture that moment. And most of the time, I would say I've, I've been very fairly successful. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny. Do you so? Do you prefer doing candid work or or more staged photography with some of it, or or does it depend on the situation? You know, it it genuinely depends on the situation. I I, I like the product photography because that gives me more control. Yeah, and more flexibility when it comes to a lot of things. But I, I the candid stuff and lifestyle stuff is the most challenging thing. But it's because so you great could, when you get the right shot in the perfect moment. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's it's like that's that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Totally, man. Totally. Um, all right. So you recently we were already talking a little bit about your shingles, and then we were <laughs> yeah. talking about because you had to fly up to Alaska, right? Yeah, so, I had a client. So you had a client uh, in Alaska. What were you doing up in Alaska? So client uh, hired me to do their wedding photography for them and um they had uh they had already had me in mind because um they understand that i'm willing to go out in the backcountry extremely deep and, and 
just be sustained for days on end and not worry about it with my camera equipment. They know that I'm capable of doing that. Yeah. So they hired me, and um, it, it, honestly, it was truly a uh, one of those clients that that you are very thankful for that they came into your life. Um, it's something that uh, you know they have the opportunity to. Uh, help you, but you know, obviously by means of paying you as well, but you know, giving you the opportunity to also witness and share in their precious moments of them getting married. Yeah. And uh, you know, I really I take that um, wholeheartedly. I want to make sure that I'm going to capture those moments for them successfully. And um, aside from the product side, you know, by delivering a, a proper photo, but it also because just from one human being to another you know sharing in that compassion and empathy with them um, I just want to make sure that I was doing that so started out in uh, Washington State flew into Anchorage and then spent two days in Anchorage um, I went by Anchorage Brewing Company and picked up um, two pieces of product for doing a product photo shoot I can't tell you about it right now because it's not released yet so uh -huh. But uh, a company who is going to be releasing these new um, products uh, in the next months to come um, went and picked up those products from them and took them with me on the bush plane up north. And then uh, when we landed, um, this airport, they have like like there's like the town dogs. They just kind of come out because like, oh, cool, new people. Right. <laughs> and. It was a great experience. Um, uh, Justin and Megan—that's their names, the, the newlyweds—and um, at the time when they obviously when they were picking me up, they weren't married yet. But uh, they had brought two boats in. One of them was a jet boat. The other one was a, a traditional, like thirty-foot boat with a like a seventy-five horsepower motor on the back, and you know just enough to kind of cruise along. And the jet boat can hold like seven thousand pounds of gear, like full oh, wow. on, like you can load this thing up. And so, you know, there was on the first round, there was approximately like 12 people on, on the, the boat. So like there was a lot of people that were on this boat and um, or I think it was no wait, eight people. There was eight people on, on our boat and then four on the other boat. So 12 total. And so we riding in the boat 45 minutes north and uh, up the Yukon and, and we're just passing like moose on the side of the river and mm -hmm. you know come over here with my my camera and i'm just smiling from ear to ear you know taking photos of everything and everybody and um uh, the malloys are a, a wonderful family uh they had um, megan's dad had homesteaded this piece of property and, and it's um it took him 30 years he's been there for 30 years uh, 30 years ago is when he started the homestead wow. back then i'm not sure if you know the laws back then but they uh Alaska gave away land and if you stayed on it for two years and showed an improvement over those two years you got to keep it so um, yeah when I got there uh, we got we docked the boat up and um, they showed me to my tent they had all these tents laid out and it was it was awesome like we walked through the canopy of this tundra and and like Alaska these girls are like Alaska girls are like no joke like these uh -huh. girls are burdened like I'm there's no BS with them, like, like, like when Justin, I I, kn I know Justin fairly well, and yeah. um, I, I know him enough. Like when when I met Megan, that was the first time meeting her. I'm like, wow, he lucked out. <laughs> yeah, 
because this woman is a no BS person and Justin's a no BS guy as well. But like, you know, the guy is like stocky, like, I mean, he's a really, he's a great guy and wonderful personality and, um, very helping. And he, like the guy would literally give you the shirt off his back, uh, uh-huh. you know, if you're struggling. And, uh, um, so it was, it was awesome, uh, getting to see like this whole, um, homestead that, that her dad built literally from the ground up, like, and it's, um, there's tent city, if you will, there are six tents already set aside for, uh, the guests. And then some of the guests also brought their own tents. Um, then in the main area is, uh, uh the cabin itself, living quarters where they live year round. Um, and then off to the left-hand side is the outhouse. And then farther on there is the, um, wood stack where they've cut like wood. Cause obviously, you know, you need, it gets down to 30 below there. And they've got to have wood survive the winter. And then they also have a steam room. So he built like a steam cabin. So he goes in there like, yeah. So like you can take a bath in there, take a shower. I'm sorry. You can go in there and fire up the, uh, with wood, fire up the 55 gallon drum. And then there's rocks on it. So you pour water over it and steam it up, steam the room up. And and, you know, that's where you shower. Uh And, uh, I use, I I got to use that once and, and, uh, it it was really incredible. (laughs) That's um, and, so, and that's all yeah. property that he homesteaded himself. Like he yes, homesteaded yeah. this, he built this. Like, yeah, that's so from the crazy. Ground. Yeah, from the wood that was there, he chopped it down, and uh, he had a bulldozer um, brought in, and so he has like one piece of heavy machinery, and then he also got a second one, which is like a, what they call a swamp buggy, mm-hmm. where this thing can go on land and on water, so he can like traverse across lakes and stuff with it. Um, but the dozer, he put in a runway, and so he's got a cub um, that he flies. Um, he's making the runway a little bit longer. I think it's like 600 foot now, but he wants a little bit longer, so he's more comfortable flying it in and out, especially during winter time. But yeah, it's phenomenal. So I brought the drone with me, and um, was uh, shooting a lot of photos and, and I threw the drone in the air and as soon as I threw it in the air like all of a sudden I got to around 300 feet and then I lost control of my drone and this is the first time I'd ever flown it in Alaska and I was freaking out yeah. and I'm like what what is going on right now Yeah. come to find out Toby told me that there's uh, Air Force and Homeland Defense have got these like tracking things devices to like seek out incoming missiles and stuff i guess no way in alaska <laughs> yes in alaska so apparently like my magnetic interference and i lost control of my drone was from one of these devices and so shutting um, you down yeah shutting me down that's <laughs> big brother dude oh jeez yeah, hardcore. So if, if I flew above 300 feet, it, it would get, I would lose control of the drone. So I had to keep it below 300 feet and yeah. it was fine. Yeah. So yeah, like I got, I got the drone footage I needed to, but man, like it took, it took me three or four flights to like figure it out. Cause I would like, oh, well there must be something wrong with my drone, you know, like I need to calibrate it. So I'd recalibrate it, put and it back in the air, get up to 300 feet and boom, lose the control again. And I'm like, oh damn it. So I was telling Toby about like what was going on with the drone. He's like, oh, well no, that's probably blah, blah, blah. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> so talking about your drone, now you were mm-hmm. trying to chase the jet boat with your drone yes. while somebody was water skiing on the Yukon. Yeah, Grant, he's a he's a character. He's awesome. Um, 
when we got there, Grant's like, man, this is cool. He goes, hey, you know, it'd be nice to water ski. You got any skis? And Toby's like, I got a set of old skis. Who water like, skis no on the Yukon? Yes. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, Justin was like, don't do it, dude. And then all of a sudden, Grant's like, oh, I'm doing it. He goes, all right, Joe, give me your camera. <laughs> I'm going to go get the drone. So I gave my camera to Justin. And uh, Grant, he gets at the end of the dock. He's getting all set up. And, and then I'm hopping in the boat, the jet boat, and I get my drone going. And uh, I forgot that I didn't put it into sport mode. Mm-hmm. And so, like, immediately right out the gate, because um, it's, you know, it's cold water. I mean, like, this is, like, glacial water. So it's mm-hmm. freezing. And um, Grant's like, all right, once I get in the water, you need to go. And so <laughs> Toby's like, all right. I do not want to be submerged for more than <laughs> <Exactly>. a second. <laughs> yes. So that's what he did. Um, he fell in the water. Like, well, he sat in the water real quick. And you've seen the video. Like, then he pulls him up and he's up and he's going. In. But I was, like, pushing the, the forward button on the, the drone. And, like, that jet boat goes from zero to 40, like, in nothing straight. So... I lost, you know, like I just basically he blew me out of the water. And so uh, we're rounding the corner on this river because obviously, you know, it bends really sharp back and forth. So I'm cross, I'm using the drone and I'm crossing land to catch back up with the boat. Oh, wow. <laughs> Finally catch up with the boat and then uh, get, get the shots that I needed. And then it was like, all right, cool. I got it. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, he just kept moving for a little bit longer. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time. It was that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody um, water ski on the Yukon. That's the first time I've ever even heard about it. <laughs> That's absolutely insane. So we'll transition. Yeah. Let's talk about some hunting. Awesome. So yeah, how, I'm excited. How long How long have you been hunting for? Oh, gosh. Uh, this will be... Um... This will be my eighth year. Coming into eight nine, years. Nine years. Eight, eight, nine, yeah, eight, nine years now. And uh, the, the whole reason why I got started was um, we lived in, in Edmonds, Washington, on the west on the western side with my first wife, uh, Summer. Um, she's uh, We started having kids, and my first child came along, and... It was one of those things where, like, okay, bills are stacking up. We gotta, we gotta budget, and then food-wise, we need to figure out how to get food without it costing a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then that's where I, honestly, it just kind of came to me one day, flipping through the channels, and I was like, oh, hey, why don't I go hunting? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, here I am thinking it's going to be easy. <laughs> like, that oh really yeah, looks yeah. a lot easier on TV. It is so easy, you know, like the, the guy, this guy like hunts like within half an hour and he's got like all this meat. Like, why well, I can do that. It's like, <laughs> come on. And now this mm-hmm. is during the recession too, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And so this was during that time when we bought a house that was a, that at the, at the time it was okay payment wise, but then the market fell out and then we lost value in our house. And so the payments started stacking up and then with having kids on top of it, it just snowballed into us. Um, we didn't lose the house, but, um, we ended up selling it and then moving to Eastern Washington. But before that happened is when I got into hunting and I went, um, to a hunter's edge. I did the online course and then I took my field course in Bellingham, Washington. Uh-huh. And when it was at a church, and this was my first time ever experiencing 
going through the state as far as like getting my license, getting, you know, proficient with firearms and, you know, kind of getting a general idea on what I'm getting myself into. So <clears throat> my first experience, my first impression of it, I'll be honest with you, was not a good one. I felt like those people, I applaud them and thank them for volunteering their time into doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't feel that I came out of that with any knowledge than what I went in there with. So I don't feel like I left with any more knowledge than what I went in there with. And so in that, in that regards, I felt really sad and, um, kind of made it more difficult for you. I'm sure. Exactly. Because yeah. then I turned to the internet and I turned to the internet and just started researching as much as I could. And I mean, I tell you, there is a lot of crap out there on the internet as yeah. far as hunting is concerned. Absolutely. And then there's a lot of good stuff out there. You know, so it's kind of like you know you, you you get the you get the mix of, of both and and um, I uh, got on some of the I got on the forums and um, uh, looking around for for genuinely where to hunt like where can I go public land to hunt and I didn't I didn't have a clue so um, I went out and um, went on what I thought was public land the first time I went out hunting I was just walking around and I had my tag had my license and just was skunked, you know, walking around the woods with my, with my bow. And I'm like, this is, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> like this, this is cool that I'm walking around with my bow, but I'm, you know, I don't, I don't get to shoot anything with it. And I don't feel like I'm like actually hunting. I feel like I'm more just like walking around wondrously because I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So went on the forums, asked a couple guys for some help. And one of them was you like, started reaching he's, out. He's like, started reaching out yeah and yeah. this guy came over and he's like hey you know um let me show you what i got down here and and uh more than happy to help you out you know help you feed your family too and so i was ecstatic you know at the time i not a, i've never have been a trophy hunter so yeah. um I, for me it's just all about substance and making sure i'm providing for my friends and family mm -hmm. and so he takes me over and and i when I get there, like I'm seeing animals, there's like a squirrel and a rabbit. And it's like, okay, cool. He's got animals on his property. Just from, you know, this is how much information I did not know. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I see a rabbit. I'm like, okay, cool. He's got animals. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that means absolutely nothing. Let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, he takes me over and uh, he shows me his stand that he has and it's like in front of this orchard. And so there's like apples and stuff. And, and as, um, as he's talking to me about like the deer and, and, and how they come in and, and he's explaining, you know, you know, just sit in the stand up there and, you know, when you see a deer that, you know, that you want to harvest, go ahead and go ahead and, you know, shoot it. And so I'm like, all right, cool. So, <laughs> Uh, I had to go to the bathroom because I was excited. So I put my bow at the bottom of the tree stand and then I walk with him back to his house and use the restroom. And then I walk back out to the tree stand. And as I'm walking out to the tree stand, sure enough, there is like five or six deer right there in front of the tree stand. And I can't get to my bow. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm walking up closer. I'm Always like, have your bow on you, man. Always. Yeah. Exactly. And so as soon as I like made one more step, like they were gone, boom, then, and they never came back. Uh -huh. Like they never came. But, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I get in the tree stand. So I grab my bow and I get in the tree stand and 
I had taken a shower earlier that day. I'm smelling like freaking suave shampoo and like all this crap. You know what I mean? Like it was so awful. It was You're such smelling a, was, so fancy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So uh, I hunted there again the next day and, and still got skunked. Like there was deer that would come in and then they would leave. And I'm looking at him going, like, you know, why are these deer not coming around? And, and, you know, he kind of explained, you know, well, they're probably smelling you because you smell like a fucking, you smell like a cologne. <laughs> I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, you're cologne, man. It's like, oh, dude, like I didn't even think about that. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was a very brutal first year for me. And um, a lot of learning curves, man. A lot of learning curves. Yeah. So, Left on Alaska, and then that was uh, that was the beginning of the season. Was um, when he offered me that that property there, and uh, packed the packed the whole family up. And um, by then we had our third child, so we moved to Eastern Washington, sold the house, and in Eastern Washington is when um, I really like I went hardcore. Like I went off the deep end of the scale when it comes to hunting. Uh huh. So. I stopped eating meat altogether for a full 30 days before opening day. Um, I strictly, um, because I was trying to purge myself of the scent of like meat and everything. And I shaved my head bald, like fully bicked it. Like in, because of like hair, you know, it gives scent off and stuff. You're just like, I, I, I went, I completely like went, all the way to the other side of the spectrum, like so hardcore. Um, but what it ended up happening was it ended up biting me in the ass because what happened was, um, got onto another property and, uh, this old guy, uh, who lived on park street, uh, at the end he had like 40 acres. And so there was deer always there and does and a few bucks. And this was my, my second season now. Uh-huh. I still call it, I still call it my first season because technically my first season I don't really count because it was just a complete wash to me. <laughs> so my first season started when I actually drew back on an animal and released. And so that's where I count my first season. Um this doe, um, I was on the ground and I ranged it with my rangefinder at thirty two yards. She was facing me and so I had drew back and I'm waiting for her to turn so that way I could release. Now, she turned slightly to her left, which if I'm looking at her, that would mean that she, her head went towards the my right, if you will. Okay? Uh-huh. It, ex- it exposed like her, it exposed her ribs. And to me at that, at that moment was like, okay, there's, there's the ribs so I could hit the lungs. That's what I was, that's what I was, my thinking, my thought process was. So when I released, I was so nervous. It went a little bit to the left and it, it entered the ribs, but then I, it, that's all I saw. I saw, I saw the arrow go into her ribs, but then I never seen it again. Uh-huh. And she ran off. And then I lost the deer. Oh no! So that was my first ever experience. Man, like, losing an animal is rough. That I I didn't sleep for two days. Yeah. Like full on like 
I mean, it, it, it still, it still affects me today because yeah. this is something that I don't ever want anybody else to go through. Yeah. We don't want anybody to lose an animal. And, and I honestly thought about just like giving up, stop giving up a hundred percent. Like, I'm like, there's no way I can do this. Cause I, you know, I just, I injured an animal and I can't even find it. Like there was, there was like little to no blood trail and it was just a nightmare. And, and I so, can't do this again. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want it. I, you know, I don't want to go through this again. That's so, a rough feeling, man. I, I can relate uh, just by being with people that have hit animals and the, the blood trail dries up or, you know, you, they, they just keep going and you can't find them. Man. Yeah. That's such a rough yeah. feeling. Yeah. And, uh, so I contacted the fish and game department and told them what happened. I'm like, look, Hey, I lost this animal. And I, I, you know, do I forfeit my tag? What do I do? And, and, um, they're like, yeah, you know, if you want to forfeit your tag, that's fine. So, um, uh, I'm like, okay. So I did that. And, uh, um, I just, I went, I went, um, went online again and, and just, you know, basically just started researching more trying to figure out, you know, how is this going to work and, you know, how am I going to get better, you know, as, as, as far as being, um, a better hunter, like, you know, and I, I did, I genuinely wanted to quit. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, so it um, rocked you pretty well. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so later, later that year, um, uh, I just reevaluated everything, like what, what I was doing, like my gear, um, the bow I was using. And, um, when I was online, I went searching for game cameras and, uh, one of the guys locally who was selling a game, his trail camera, um, uh, when I met him in person, he's like, you know, you shoot a bow. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, what bow are you shooting? And I'm like, oh, this is PSE. He goes, well, let me take a look at it for you. And I told him about my experience with, with the, with the dough. And, um, uh, he basically kind of took me under his wing and helped me with my shot process. He gave me a shot execution order and I cannot thank that guy enough. Uh, uh -huh. Matt is, um, Matt has genuinely helped me become a better hunter by just taking that half an hour out of his time, um, to set up my bow and then teach me how to shoot properly. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, you got to keep this repetitive, you know, and you can't just, you know, go out and practice for, you know, one or two days before season opens. You know, he's like, you got to be practicing all the time, you know, whenever you can, as much as you can. And if it's indoors, you know, put your put your block target in front of the fireplace and then just sit down in your computer chair and start shooting that. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but as long as you're doing that repetitive motion, you're going to get better. Yeah. So that winter, that's exactly what I did. I had that block target in front of the fireplace and, you know, just sitting there shooting it. I would shoot it probably five to 10 times at night. And then I just put it away. Mm -hmm. Spring came around and then I was stretching my legs out a little bit more and I start going up to 40, 60, 70 yards and, um, just, just kept hammering it, hammering it, hammering it. And that season, um, I did a lot more research as far as public land is concerned. So I decided, I genuinely picked the map up and looked at it and like just put my finger on one of the mountains. I'm like, I'm going to hunt this mountain. There was no rhyme or reason to why where I hunt, where I have been hunting for the last six, seven <laughs> years now, 
it just straight up like, throwing darts at a board. This is where I'm going. <laughs> this is where I'm going. 100%. That's how it went down. And, um, put trail cameras up there and, um, you know, the state of Washington allows for us to, um, put out minerals and stuff like that. And so that's what I did is I put minerals out and they said that I would, I would be able to see more animals that way. And so, you know, it doesn't guarantee you're going to get a shot opportunity. And so, um, that's what I did. And I saw that there was elk, there was bear and there was deer up there. And so I'm like, this is everything that I want to hunt. What did change? <laughs> so, um, that year, uh, that was the first year that I had like full on, like continued with the method of not eating meat for 30 days before I uh, did a full cleanse and, uh, hunting solo in the backcountry is what I'm essentially just for me it was like okay i'm gonna check all my gear make sure that I'm, i can do this by myself for a period of time and my first uh my first day out in the field was a mile and a half out in the backcountry and that's i felt was more than suffice because where i had my cameras that's where the animals were at so it's like this is perfect you know i feel like i'm comfortable here in this area and and i scouted it for uh two months prior and so i would go every other weekend and um just you know check the lay of the land putting boots in the ground looking at the ridges seeing where the animals were going to be traversing across because i was hunting in a saddle and um one side is water the other side is essentially where they're bedding down so it's like a perfect opportunity to try and intercept them as they're going across so what was it like for you the first time you pulled your first memory card and it was loaded Oh man, it was it was genuinely shocked. Like, From like I, what you had been dealing with, was it like, oh my god, I have found the holy grail. This is amazing. That is exactly what it felt. <laughs> it was like I won the freaking lotto. I kid you not. It was like oh, like the freaking clouds separated, and like the sh- beam of light just running came around shot. like Willy Wonka. I got the golden ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I showed the photos to a couple of people. They're like, holy smokes. Like, like where hey, is this? Hey, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. But yeah. take me, please. Yep. Yep. That's exactly how it was too. It was, it was awesome. And so, um, when I get down there, um, the basin is huge. I should say, get up there. The basin is huge. And, um, like I'm on a ridge and I can see various mostly does like just going up the saddle and then going back down and all of a sudden coming out of the canopy is this beautiful black bear and i'm like oh sweet and it was big and i had never seen a bear in the wild in my life mm-hmm. like i all the bears i'd seen were in a zoo so this is my first time ever seeing a bear like like wow this is amazing so I'm on top of the ridge and I start to go across, traverse across the mountain to like try and intercept it. And I get going, I get going and I stop and I get to a point to where there's a bunch of deadfall trees and where the way the animal was, the way the bear was coming was essentially traversing across the same trail that I was on. Yeah. And as it's traversing, it's coming towards me and I'm like, is it smelling me? Like I checked the wind before I started moving and the wind was blowing in my face. 
Yeah. So I'm, there's no way that this guy is smelling me right now. Like I, so I kept going, kept going, kept going and I stopped and the deadfall is where I stopped at. And I just sat on my, sat on my legs. I'm sitting upright and I'm looking over the deadfall and I'm just watching him coming across, getting closer, getting closer. And like I arranged them, I had ranged the trees already from where I was at. Mm-hmm. And I had a general idea on how far I had walked already. And so I was guessing that he was probably around 50 yards away. So I, as he's traversing, he would slow down and then it'd stop. And then I grabbed my rangefinder. And as it turned its head, I quickly pulled it up the rangefinder, ranged it real quick, and it showed it 35 yards. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's a lot closer than I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Just took my time and I was used, exercised a lot of patience. And it got, it started coming back towards me more like coming my direction more and i'm like the distance yes and i have a 45 that i carry with me uh for personal protection so i'm thinking to myself i don't think i'm gonna have enough time to draw my bow back i think i might have to shoot this with my pistol Mm -hmm. like i'm genuinely like contemplating like okay because here in the state of washington it's any firearm or any weapon you can use uh for hunting bears it's legal is legal. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, if I pull my pistol out, I'm going to have to make sure that I aim if it's facing me in the brisket between, between the legs. And like, I'm like, I'm like mentally processing all of these shots that I'm going to possibly have to take before it gets any closer. It got to the edge of the deadfall in front of me, which was when I, when, after I shot it, it was 18 yards away. So it got within 18 yards of me. Oh, wow. When it got to the edge of the deadfall, it put its nose in the air and kept sniffing, kept sniffing. And then it turned a full 180 slowly and started to walk away. And that's when I, that's when I drew my bow back. Uh-huh. Cause I had, I had my wrist rocket on and I had an arrow knocked. So I was just sitting there waiting. As soon as it flipped a full 180 and started to walk away from me, it was like time slowed down drew my bow back put my pin my 20 yard pin right i was watching its front leg and as as soon as its front leg moved forward that's when i like seriously held my aim my breath and then i just released the arrow and sent it and i put it right i mean (laughs) right down the money shot like um it was the I, you'll you'll never forget that first time a broadhead enters an animal. Yeah, like it just it, you once you hear that sound, you never forget it. Right, and especially after you know when you're shooting it. So as soon as the arrow went full pass through, because I had lighted knock, and when it was a full pass through, it the the bear just ran straight and then hung a sharp right and then stopped right next to a tree. And I'm like, my heart's pounding a mile a minute. And so I grab another arrow and I knock it because I saw that he stopped. I could still see him. I'm like, oh, well, maybe he's not, maybe he's not, uh, maybe he's not going to go down. Because, you know, to me, I thought it was like, you know, going to be instant. Like, you know, you shoot it and then it's going to go down quick. Oh, no. And so what I did was I took my range finder and I was looking. I'm like, I don't have time to range it. So I just drew back and put my 35 yard pin on it and sent it i just i wanted because i had already hit it i just wanted to put another arrow in it to make sure that it wasn't going to, i wasn't going to lose it yeah so i aimed for like the, as as what i could tell 
was the biggest part of the animal. Uh-huh. When I sent it, the arrow um, went in and then it stopped and then it, it, he, the bear got up and then started running, but it ran downhill and then it ran up the basin the other side. So it added another 150 to 200 yards more to the pack out, but it went down. And um, I, I was that was like my adrenaline didn't stop for like a solid four or five minutes after I sent that second arrow. So now, like, were you going down to pack it out or did you have to go down, get it, cut it up and then bring it back up to pack out the yes, other direction? Oh exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So lesson is, is if you know you have a good shot, don't make that second shot because you're going to push the animal farther and make your pack out harder. Mm-hmm. That's what happened for me, and uh, I wish, yeah, I wish I'd not sent that second second shot because uh, the animal would have just been you know, the bear just would have just been fine right there. You know what I mean? It made my pack out a little bit easier. But right. you know, being my first time, that was my first big game kill. Like yeah. like full on harvest the opportunity to pull it out, and um, uh, it's when I was married still, and I called my father in law at the time and. Uh, he helped. He did two trips with me. He helped me pack that sucker out, mm-hmm. you know, three miles, you know, one and a half, one in and a mile and a half out. So oh, three wow. miles round trip. Did that twice with me. And um, the second trip was at where we was basically dark, like pitch black. You know, yeah. And um, headlamps. You know, headlamps and and just you know bushwhacking, going back to the road. And and uh, I, when we got the animal back, like I had been out there for three three days before i shot it mm-hmm. so you know it wasn't like I was opening day i was successful i was out there for three days by myself already and and little announced to me that you know he probably was sleeping in the vicinity of me you know who knows but yeah uh, yeah it, and so uh th- bear meat is is not as good as i thought it would be you know bear meat is delicious when cooked properly and i like to cook bear meat in a pressure cooker right. now knowing what i know no really yeah. Well, so pressure, you, I was right? actually going to bring that back up because you were talking about sustenance and all that earlier um, when we first started started talking about hunting. So, how much bear meat do you think did you harvest? You know, like how are you cooking it? How are you preparing it? You know, yeah, sharing it with other people and and uh, you know by sharing it. Excuse me, by sharing it with other people. Um, are you also like? you know, telling them the experience and what it was like, you know, tell me about your process when you're sharing, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? When you're sharing the meat. Cause I know for me, when I'm sharing the meat of game, um, a lot of the time I go back into reflection and I go back into telling them, you know, the story behind the animal and, and my experience with the animal and, and how it all mm-hmm. went down. So, you know, what, what's that, what's that like for you when you're preparing the food in the pressure cooker? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, total meat, when we got it back to the house, um, we weighed it all actually, because I was curious to find out what the actual bear weighed. It came in at 275 pounds, a little bit over that. And, um, the hide itself from nose to, um, uh, the longest part of the, the, the animal there was six foot two. And so he he was a big bear and, um, 
Yeah, we, it was my first bear, so I had him um, turned into a rug. Uh, Jeff Sylvester of Sylvester Taxidermy here in Spokane, Washington, took care of me. Uh-huh. Um, did a beautiful job. He uh, he fixed the stitchers up. He fixed the second hole that I had had shot um, in the bear, and, and uh, he did a fantastic job. It's, it's hanging on a wall right now. And um, so uh, the way I prepared the bear, because I wasn't sure how to do it, but I knew that I needed to cook it to a temperature of 160 or higher uh, because of trigonosis. And so in order to do that, um, they told me, especially Steve uh, Rinella, I visited his website quite a bit, he said to take some of the fat and render it down and then cook it in the fat. Well, when I did that, it was it brought a unique flavor out of the bear. And really? this bear primary source of food at that time was huckleberries. Mm. And so a lot of its fat had this like huckleberry taste to it. Which was it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> It was so good. So I would cut the bear meat up into extremely thin pieces of meat because bear meat itself is very chewy. And so I had tried chunking it like, like you know, chuck roast or something like that. Like you know, and that's how I thought I should have cut it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a learning process. So I'd put like big pieces of chunks of meat in there, and then I'd put it on the fryer um, in in the uh, a pan with the rendered fat down, which basically turned it into a fryer. And I'd stick a thermostat in it in the meat and make sure I get it to 160 real quick. And once I hit that, I was like, okay, then I'd taste it. And it was like, this is really chewy. <laughs> what are some ways, what are some cooking methods that will work the best in order to break this meat, tough meat down? And, and number one was pressure cooker or crock pot. You're and all, so that's I what I want to eat this. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, for me, it was important that I did eat it yeah. because I harvested yeah. it. And so, um, uh, the kids were like, eh, it's okay. I could take it or leave it, you know? And so once I put it in the crock pot, though, I used, um, uh, oh gosh, the name's escaping me right now. Um, I like to use with brown sugar and barbecue sauce mm-hmm. and just let it go for four, eight hours just on low heat or medium heat and just cook it and it'll fall apart and it becomes super tender to where you can't even tell anymore and so that's where i you know that it is bare because it has it does you can tell it's definitely a game animal but it, it like it's difficult to say you know oh that's definitely bear you know what i mean <laughs> uh-huh yeah but um sharing it with friends and family uh was really fun for me because giving them sharing sharing my experience and harvesting it with them was brought a, a huge sense of of um accomplishment accomplishment exactly thank yeah. you that was exactly it and uh i felt finally like i did it myself and, and when is your first big game animal I, yeah a hundred percent it was my first big game animal and um uh it, it, it was just jaw-dropping experience for me personally and then the next year um is when i when i harvested my first ever elk uh-huh and uh, now was it a I cow or a bull it was a uh, spike bull uh-huh and and um, funny story about that is I was going to hunt the same area um, for mule deer. Um, so after the bear, I harvested a doe successfully um, on a different piece of property, and uh, that I felt like okay, I, I accomplished two things that year, and I, I got I got a big game animal and I got my deer as well, and and you know think everything that everything aligned if you will the stars aligned right for me and i i don't know if i want to say that 
not eating meat 30 days and shaving my head and like fully going native if that helped but mm-hmm. I feel it kind of did in yeah. a lot of ways because you know, I don't feel that that bear would have got within 18 yards of me had it smelled me yeah because you smelled that so, bad oh I mean you, I, I, it's just you know I was already out there for three days and hadn't showered or anything like that <laughs> so I mean I did have I did have an odor obviously but I, I feel like maybe that that extremeness if you will might have helped but I'm not saying it completely helped you yeah. know what I mean um, so yeah, you, people listening don't go shaving your head and not eating meat for three days. <laughs> don't go have to do that. that. <laughs> that's funny yeah so um, but the elk though um, I was going to go up and hunt um, that area again because there was elk up there as well but what it ended up happening on the cameras man was just more bears yeah, and I was like, I don't want another bear. Like, I, I don't, you know, like, yeah, it's cool that they're there, um, but I'm not going to hunt that. So I looked for a different area, and um, I went south instead of going north. And um, a buddy who lives on the border of Washington and Idaho, he's like, hey, you know, I've, I've got access to like inland paper. Um, so if you go get a permit, you know, you can come over here and hunt on this this property. And uh, it's just like thousands of acres there's like three thousand acres of just paper and, and forest and so he's like you know come out here and then and because it's between idaho and washington the elk actually traverse between the two so i'm like okay cool yeah i'll check it out you know and this was my second day out there the first day i went out introduced myself to him and and you know we just kind of we hit it off um i met him through the hunter's education stuff yeah um his uncle his uncle is actually the director for the eastern side of uh washington so yeah it was great because he's like you know i was i was talking to his uncle um because i was telling him like you know i'd really like to hunt for elk but you know unfortunately up north there's just nothing but bears and i showed him the trail cam photos and stuff he goes well here hold on let me let me get you a hold of uh one of my 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 nephew or cousin and um he gave me his information. He said, here, give him a call and, you know, he'll let you park at his place and you can go hike up the mountain and stuff like that from his place. And it's right on the border, on the property border. So I call him up and like, you know, I go out there first day, introduce myself. He shows me where everything's at, you know, as far as like how to get up uh, onto the mountain. Second day I get out there and I bring a backpack with me. And in that backpack, I have a bottle of water uh-huh. and oh, calls and my bow. And that's it. You know, because I'm just scouting, you know, I'm just walking around, checking stuff out. So I'm walking with my bow and, and um, I've got my elk call and I'm, I'm just like cow calling, just walking and I'm hiking up this mountain. I'm, I'm like halfway up this mountain and there's logging roads. So I'm on a logging road. I'm traversing across the side of it. I'm, you know, cow calling. And all of a sudden I hear this like ground start rumbling and I'm like what is that you know and i'm trying to figure out what it is and and part of me like a little bit of fear set in like oh crap is it a bear uh-huh <laughs> so i uh i kind of stop and then uh the ground stopped rumbling and so i kept walking kept walking and uh didn't hear it again so i look up and i'm i'm rounding this like I want to call it a horseshoe. So if you're looking at the ground in front of you, it's shaped like a horseshoe and you're on the left side of it. Mm-hmm. So as I'm going to the middle of the horseshoe, it's like a draw 
And so you can see the stream coming down. So I start walking up the draw, the stream, and uh, not in the stream, but on next to it. And I look down on the ground, and there's a porcupine on the ground. It's like a porcupine carcass. And I'm like, I've never seen a porcupine, you know, that close before. You know, this is my, you know, like this is pretty neat looking. And then all of a sudden I look up. And, and I'm, call, I'm cow calling still, you know, and I look up and here comes this elk running right at me. And that was the rumbling of thunders that you were hearing. That was the rumbling on the ground that I was hearing. And yeah. I'm like, that's an elk. This is the first time I've ever seen an elk in person, uh-huh. like up close, up close. And it's getting closer to me. So my rangefinder's on my chest on my right over my right breast so i grab my rangefinder and i put it up and i like range it and it's at 38 yards mm-hmm. and i have an arrow knocked and i'm looking at this elk and it's looking at me and i'm like um do i shoot it <laughs> <laughs> You're always, what do i do right now <laughs> what do i do like i'm freaking dumbfounded like here's an elk like walked right to me so so it's like it continues it takes a step forward and then it takes another step forward and now i've already ranged it once it's at 38 yards so i'm thinking to myself shit where's it at now like is it at five you know no well no i'm like is that because it's taking small steps so i draw like as soon as it it started to, to walk because the tree line was a little bit thick right there, brush. Like mm-hmm. it couldn't just like jump in the tree line. It would either have to hang a sharp left or follow the brush of the, the tree line, hug to, the, to, the, to its right. And that's exactly what it did. It kept walking and presented a broadside shot. No I, way. It was like it was textbook. I, as soon be. as it turned – as soon as it turned, I drew back and I put my 35, <laughs> I put between my 20 and my 35 yard um, uh, on my dial because I was at the time I was using a Trigicon single pin, mm-hmm. the AccuPoint. I do that. I and, used that for five years. It's a great site, man. I Absolutely. love that book. Absolutely, 100%. So I, I, put it at, I put it at 35 yards and then I drew back and I just put the pin um, on the shoulder and then I just sent it. Dude, the arrow went through the shoulder blade, and then once it hit the animal, once it hit the elk, it flipped a full 180, and then it started to run up the brush, and it broke the arrow off. Oh, no. That was a good thing because oh. I double-lunged it. Oh, wow. I immediately started calling again. As soon as, I, as soon as I shot, it happened like this. Basically, shot sequence, drew back, sent the arrow. As soon as it impacted, it flipped a full 180, started to run up the mountain. I grabbed my call, started call calling again, cow calling again. It turned around and came back towards me. No and it way. Died. Yes, it died less than like less than 10 yards from where it was shot. Oh, my God. That's right like next- a day full of blessings right there. Right next to the logging road, <laughs> and I, 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 I couldn't believe it. It landed as soon as it hit the ground. It landed, and it, it antler, um, one of the antlers had got stuck on a tree, so its head was like all cocked sideways. Like I stayed in my one spot, like where I shot it, and I just like took my phone out and I just started taking pictures of like everything because I wanted to remember that moment. Yeah. And it, it, I was just like completely just just like you said it was 
a day full of blessings. And that was my first elk. And, and um, I called Summer and, and I called Mike, um, who is um, a hunting buddy of mine, who I helped pack his elk out uh, from a Nash Dash near Ellensburg, Washington. Um, he got an elk that year too. So, I mean, it was, I mean, we were just rolling in elk. I mean, it was, yeah, that was, that was, that was the most humbling experience was being able to, to finally like put my hands on that elk and that I harvested it successfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the deer, don't get me wrong. Like anytime I harvest a deer, it's very important as well. Like I give my blessings as well and, and thank the Lord for giving me that opportunity to harvest it as well as being food for my family and stuff. So, um, I definitely don't take any of that for granted. So absolutely. Um, Do you, so like for me, when I harvest an animal with a bow, uh, and some people think I'm absolutely nuts for this, um, one of the one of my biggest things and most important things to me that I do is um, I take the heart well it's fresh I guess you could say and um, you know I do my you know I hold the heart up to the sky and I do my spiritual process of connecting with the animal and I take yep. a bite out of the heart is there anything that you do after you you harvest an animal, after you kill an animal with a bow, as far as your spiritual center and and trying to be at one with the wildlife and nature and everything going on around you. Um, it started after the after the bear. Yeah. Um, what what I started doing was um, just spending reflection. Just, uh, if exactly and and sitting and kneeling next to the animal and and just holding it and um praying and um you know and giving thanks and and that's genuinely for me brings more of a sense of accomplishment because I'm, i i feel that i'm not just giving thanks for my own benefit but also for my family's benefit and and my friends benefit and that this life was not going to go to waste and it's going to be 100% made to carry on. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's just after the elk, I spent time and I actually prayed and, um, I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, and, and this is what happened after that elk was down. I mean, it was, it was warm. Uh huh. I told you what I had in my backpack. What is missing from that backpack? Right. A knife. I didn't have a knife to gut it. I didn't have a knife to process it. <laughs> so I took my broadhead no from one of my arrows. And I gutted it with a broadhead and I started skinning it with a broadhead. And I told Summer, like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, can you please bring my knife set with you when you come out? She goes, you don't have a knife on you? I'm like, no, <laughs> you dumbass. <laughs> How bad was that? <laughs> so, yeah, I gutted and started skinning my elk with a broadhead. Uh, shuttle T-locks, um, I got to admit, like, great broadhead i love i love that broadhead that's what i use to harvest my bear my deer my elk and uh, your elk 
Yeah, no, that's, no that's, big deal. Yeah. I just took apart my broadhead and used it to gut my elk. Yeah. <laughs> that's insanity, man. <laughs> but yeah, so um, after the elk was um, uh, uh, my buck, I had a, a really nice buck I harvested, and um, after it was just a wonderful year. And then uh, I got divorced, and <clears throat> um, some personal stuff kind of went down. So that that next year, I didn't hunt at all. Uh-huh. Um, transition into moving to Colorado, and and um, I took a year almost two years off actually of hunting and it wasn't because I didn't want to it's because of just the turmoil that was going on in my life personally and and um uh, now this year I've settled into a routine to where um yeah it wasn't I'm able to it actually, wasn't because you had phenomenal success you know like back to back killing a bear killing a doe killing an elk and then killing a buck right it might have been <laughs> like seriously most people they're like they're like, how long have you been hunting? And I'm like, and you've done this- what already? Yeah. And then no, and I'm like, doesn't every, isn't this normal? They're like, no. no. Like most people go like nine years before they kill an elk or something. I'm like, really? Yeah. In California, <laughs> most people go like nine or 10 years without killing a deer. Oh my goodness. Yeah. See, that's just, they're like hoofed rats out here, man. Like if you want some deer, like I'm more than happy to, I've got, I've got property. We got to go public. I mean, I'll take you. We can do it. Hey, that's man. the other thing yeah that sounds like a good idea for next year yes absolutely you know we can definitely hit that up man i can i can guarantee you a bear for sure because i know where they live <laughs> oh man there's so many of them up there like northeast northeast washington has one of the highest bear populations in washington state oh, i didn't know if you knew that or no i didn't yeah, know that like, at all yeah genuinely like, like uh, by gypsy peak and like Oh my goodness, man! Like we, there's so many bears. They're black bears. They're cool. You know, I mean, like they're not gonna, they're not gonna harm you. The bears are more scared of you than you are of them. And you know, unless it's a mom with cubs, then at that point, then you know, you just take a couple steps back and just, you know, let her know that you're not trying there to hurt her, her, her little siblings and other little kids. And so it's Start all good. Getting worried at that point. Right? Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I'm going to be going to Colorado here shortly, and I'm excited because uh, I get to meet my new baby girl, and um, yeah, have one on the way, and so uh, um, that's going to be a, a whole other adventure that I'm looking forward to, and uh, yeah. Uh huh. So before, so with all that coming up, before we dive into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we talked a little bit about Hunter's education. Yeah. Um, so you work with Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. You also work with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, as well as being a Hunter's education instructor. Yeah, for both the states. Mm-hmm. For both the states. So, yep. I mean, what's that like for you? What kind of inspired you to get into, you know, working so closely with all of them? Because, I mean, you know, for me, as an outdoorsman, I, I I only have enough time to really kind of throw myself into um, doing hunter's education. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and you're like, you're seriously involved. And that's that's huge, man. Like, that is so huge to get to be involved at that kind of a level. For me, I, I, I love sharing the experiences that I've had. And I want other people to experience I want other people to experience what 
I have had the opportunity to experience with the training and education I got from other people in the hunter's education community. Yeah. And and also the DIY hunters as well, because there's a lot of them out here in eastern Washington. I mean, like, I mean, Dan the fitness man, that guy is a beast. And yeah. like Jeb Conklin, who I was just with today, he's an amazing photographer, also just a very successful hunter. And these guys, they share their experiences with, you know, with me as well. And they're such busy individuals as well, you know. So if I have the opportunity to help share what they have taught me, and then I have that opportunity to pass it along to the general public to help somebody who may not even be thinking about archery or hunting in general, but are just going through the, the class just to get educated, you know, flip that switch on for them, for them to actually go out and say like, okay, yeah, actually, you know, I might try my hand at hunting because this is, this sounds like I could be successful at it. Uh-huh. So. When I teach my course and I teach my section, um, what I like to do is I actually like to give them all of the curriculum that the state requires me to. I like to give them that first. And then what I like to tell them is this is the stuff that I wish somebody would have told me in your position. Right. Just starting out. Right. Well, and, and I, and I mean, for a guy, you're still in your first 10 years, you know what I mean? Even call it, you know, your first seven or eight years and you're fairly accomplished. Yeah. You're doing really well and you've done it all yourself as an adult, you know, growing into your new, like you said, you fell in love with it instantly. You know what I mean? When you, when you started getting back into it and, uh, you know, falling in love with your passion, really diving in and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's genuinely it is, is passing that passion on to the next generation and even adults. I mean, I have a, a lot of adults that come through the class and, and they're like, you know, you know, my dad always went hunting and, you know, there's some things that I wish that, you know, he would have took me or, you know, he passed because of XYZ or something, you know, cancer or, or something had happened. Mm-hmm. And so now is my opportunity to give them as much information I can before they go out into the field because I don't want them to experience the struggles that I have gone through like tremendously with losing an animal and, and doing all these dumb mistakes, like buying the wrong gear. Like, I mean, it's just, there's so much thing, so many things that I wish somebody would have just, told, you know, explained or get planted the seed. Uh-huh. Then I could have, you know what I mean? Then once the seeds planted, then it can grow. And, yeah. and as long as it's in there, it's like, okay, I remember, you know, the instructor telling me like, Oh yeah, I got to make sure that I, you know, do this and this and this before I go hunting because, you know, it, I'll be more successful if I do that. Like, yeah. go take an archery lesson, you know, go, you know, d- don't let your pride or, you know, your ignorance get in the way. Go take a proper lesson from a national shooter. Like, go take a private lesson. You know, these guys, they eat, breed, live archery 24-7. When you go there and you take a lesson by an individual that is that instructs for a living, like your shot placement and shot confidence is going to be so much higher. So when you have that shot opportunity come across, you're going to be so much more successful. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, so, and you know, this is passing along that education and giving a first impression because these people, it's their first impression of the hunting community is, is us, me and you like, so in order for them to be successful, you got to put in the effort and make sure they have a wonderful experience that they want to come back and they want to do that as yeah. well. 
you know, like, hey, Joe's cool. Like, you know, the guy's like, he, he breathes and lives this, you know, it's, it's, but it doesn't define me as a person. It's an enhancement of what I do for a living. Yeah. And so, you know, it's given me the opportunity as well as to provide for my family by means of, you know, making a living off of it as well. Um, but it, it is, it is important that we continue as a community to grow and not belittle each other because, I mean, yeah. dude, there's so much crap on social media. Like you see these people like, uh, I mean, I'm not going to blame the f- females, but I see a lot of guys doing it too. Like pro staff of like, you know, blah, 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 this and field staff of blah, blah, blah. It's like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like if, if that's your means of, of, of financial income, okay, that's cool. Whatever. But, but I feel like it should be done a little more tastefully in some ways. And that's my own personal opinion. I'm not saying that, you know, anything needs to be changed. It's just, I don't see a need in like, yeah. Well, and I think to me, me and John talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, I, th- I think, and, and he was also saying it is, and, and you're saying it kind of right now. It's like, for me, I mean, I look at the hunting community, dude, and, and, and the amount of negativity that gets thrown around from hunter to hunter yeah to me is so out of control man it's so like you know people hold i'm better than you because i do this or you know what i mean you're not good enough right. because you right. can't kill something or you know what i mean like we are our own worst enemy and and the worst part about that and like it's 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 so horrible to watch, you know what I mean? And, 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 and having been involved in some of it, you know, it's like, it's so horrible. It's, it's just rough, man. And it, you know, you look around, like, I mean, the easiest way for me to remove myself from it, obviously just be unplugged, dude, get rid of social media and, and don't have anything to post about me hunting and just go hunting. Like I did, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was. But what you know? Here's the thing, though. What does that accomplish? Right. Right. It, 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 there's there's no there's no like like sure yeah you relieve the stress from those outside influences on your life, but that doesn't. Where's that the doesn't message to the new runner? Correct. Exactly. Where's yeah, the message? I totally doesn't get it. Fit. So in order for us to overcome these adversities within each other, we actually have to look at the greater picture, and that is. We're using conservation and harvesting these animals in an ethical manner so that way we can provide food for our family. Yeah, and our friends. That's bottom line. Yeah. Bottom line. That is it. 100%. It's not about who got the biggest rack. It's not about who did this or that, you know, or who drew what tag. I don't give a shit if you drew like the rarest tag in the world, a government tag. Like, dude, I'm I'm happy for you. That's great. That is awesome, you know, and if I can help you in any way, let me know. But, you know, yeah, don't – I'm not going to bash you for using a rifle or, you know, or whatever, muzzleloader or whatever. But it's – it's there needs to be that that just common respect. You know what I mean? Like if you don't like – the old saying, if you have nothing nice to say – Don't say it at all, man. That needs to be exercised a lot more in the hunting community because ultimately what's happening is that it's just getting pushed – and it's getting saturated with BS, and yeah. it makes the outside public looking in 
like, you know, well, I don't really want to go hunting and I can't post anything because if I do, you know, old little Jimmy over here who's, you know, going to give me a bunch of flack because I used, you know, XYZ broadhead instead of their broadhead. It's like, who right. cares? Well, <laughs> not only that, or like I shot a small buck and it wasn't big enough and, you know, I'm not going to get a repost or I'm not going to get a this or I'm not going to get a that or someone's going to make fun of me for it. And it's like, nah, man, like I shoot small bucks every year in California and I have no problem with that whatsoever. You know what? Same here. Amen, brother. Dude, at the end of every year in California, my freezer is full with deer (laughs) meat from California. And I'm, you know, to me, that's more important. And I mean, obviously, of course, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to shoot a big buck or a small buck, depending exactly. on my mood and my and how I feel that day. Um, yeah, you know, but you know, for me, like the venison hindquarters and and having ground venison all year long to draw from for my protein source is my that is my goal. That is why I hunt. It is to feed myself healthy organic protein that I hunted and I harvested and I killed myself. I don't process it myself because my butcher cost is absolutely so low that the amount of time it would take me personally to do it is not worth what I would be, you know. That's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know what, I'll be honest with you. If if I had somebody, if I had somebody to, to, to butcher my stuff, I've, I've butchered, okay. So not only have I been successful in, in hunting, but I've also helped pack out a lot of animals. Yeah. Like people call me because I'm a pack mule. Like I'm not kidding you. Like <laughs> I'm I, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like seriously. Like I've packed out probably seven elk total already. Like oh, wow. just over over the span of like five years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know that's a lot of elk. Yeah, <laughs> that's other people's elk, but they also share with me. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so it's, it's, it kind of comes around where like, okay, yeah, I'm packing this animal out, but you know, I don't ask for it at the end. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say like, Hey, you know, I'll pack your elk out for you. If you, you know, give me half it or some BS like that. I generally do it out of the kindness of my heart and I don't expect anything in return. I just want to do that to make their life easier so they continue to hunt again. And that's for me, that's the bottom line. Like I already, Mike, I know my kids are well taken care of. Like I have no quorum or question about it. My children are, are, are well fed and they're well taken care of. I don't, you know, it's, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. For me, it's about that experience, them having the opportunity in the future to be able to do it and also helping my fellow, fellow brother or sister uh, harvest that animal. And, you know, if it makes it easier on them by they only have to take out one trip instead of like three, yeah. you know, by all means, I'm going to do it. So. Absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, and come back to what we were talking about, man. It's like, you know, we I definitely feel like as a, as a community of hunters, man, we really need to uh, work on being, uh, I don't want to say there for each other, but just more positive role models and positive Correct. influences, yeah. whether it be on new hunters or or people that have been hunting, you know, and working together to make it an attractive and a promotional sport, you know, for, yeah. for everybody, you know, and not just, exactly. not just the backcountry hunter or not just the, you know, front yeah, country there's some... or the road hunter or, you know, whatever kind of hunter a hunter wants to be, it doesn't really matter, you know, right. everybody's got their own circumstances. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people that I, that I actually look 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 up to and, and continuously like you know just want to want to make sure that you know you know obviously you know there's there's the big name people which you know we all know but there's there's people that are just everyday joes that are you know i'm i'm definitely you know when you told me you wanted to interview me i was genuinely shocked i'm like dude i'm like like, what i'm like yeah that's cool but like dude i'm just a regular guy like i've got three kids i've got you know what i mean but that's so important man because that's what we are yeah like i'm i'm like i I don't I I've not won any archery competitions like believe me like if you if you watched me shoot you'd be like yeah you, you're a really good shot you're really good but you're definitely not going to win any archery competitions <laughs> hey dude me too man I'm not going to win nothing <laughs> but yeah you know I, I genuinely appreciate people like you that are out there also educating the the public with these podcasts and like, you know, the other stuff that go along with it that you are doing, you know, like the, well, me and my partner, uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. You and your partner are doing such a tremendous job. Like that's why like I'm anything I can do to help. I'm more than happy to, you know, within my means, like, you know, like I was saying, if you're going to be in Colorado in October, I'd love to offer my assistance by you know, going out there and doing some shoot with you. So yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun actually. Yeah. And, um, because you'll you know, already be out there too, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'll be out there. It'll be, I think, November second is the Colorado trip. Okay. Yeah, that'll be sweet, man. Yeah. Yeah, oh, dude, this has been fun. Like, I just reminiscing about the history of of mine. Like, it's just, yeah. Good. Man. It's See, and that's like smile to my face. <laughs> Me too, man. So. You were injured this year. You fractured your leg. I'm sure you have some deer hunts coming up this season. What's kind of coming up? What do you got on your radar? You know, how do you feel with your injury? Or, you, you know, do you feel pretty confident? Um, with the injury right now, I feel I'm at like 98.9%, almost 100%. And uh, um, I, I have yet to post anything from my trail cameras because – I'll be honest with you. Like I'm, I'm getting superstitious. Uh-huh. Like <laughs> when it comes to hunting, I don't want to post it because I don't want to. I don't want to post it and then be like opening day. I never see him again. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you right now, I have a photo of this guy from like 2015, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it back on because I have it archived in my my Instagram. I'm gonna put it back on. Uh, public so you can see the 2015 version of this guy uh-huh. um, and, and it's so the where exact he is now video. no I'm not going to post a picture of him where he is now uh, or, or or what he looks like right now this year but he he is still alive and, and he's blessed. doing well <laughs> he is doing extremely well and this is the only animal like the mule deer is the only animal I've yet to harvest uh, uh-huh. besides the black team besides the blacktail like uh, i've got white tails um and the columbia blacktail as well so in the state of washington in the western southwest side of western washington is the columbia blacktail and so uh, that's its own species as well and in the ungulate family um the state of washington actually categorizes it separately uh-huh uh, 
but yeah, mule deer. Like I want this. I I want to harvest this mule deer so badly. Like he in, I have genuinely hunted this freaking mule deer. For. This will be my fourth year because I took you know those two years off and stuff. But yeah. So, if you look at your phone right now. Yeah, I saw that. I just sent you, my gem. Mule deer. Oh, yeah. That has been that, the, was, that, that that's that's my buck this year, and oh. I I haven't I have, last weekend was opening weekend and I haven't found him and I haven't posted anything about this, but uh, tell me that doesn't look like a fun buck to chase around. That is a very fun buck to chase around. <laughs> right, I mean. Oh. Luckily, I'd be really, oh my god. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh my god. <laughs> That's why I'm so super superstitious. I'm not posting that anywhere. I, I'm not going to say that you should. I think that you should just tuck that one in your hat until the season's done. Holy uh, smokes. If I, if I harvest this animal... I am I am by all means not a trophy hunter. If you harvest that animal, tell me I will fly up and come celebrate with you. I I will genuinely probably ball like a baby. Oh <laughs> not my, kidding. You. Is, so is that uh, Colorado or? No, this is here north oh. northeast Washington. Wow. Yeah, in and uh, I haven't checked the cameras yet. The the I haven't checked the cameras since, since I left that for a while. Day? Yes, correct. This was the last since I checked the cameras. <laughs> wow, I, I'm 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 freaking out. Like just thinking about it gives me shivers. Man. So like, there's there's that for what you have planned for this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then yeah, I'm very. I don't know why or how I got superstitious. I just you know it's just. Oh, I tell you what, I think it was. So when I was in Colorado, I got into my um, my roommate's car, and I it was sunny, so I flipped the um, sun visor down, and in that sun visor was a live praying mantis, and no it way. landed on my and it landed on my chest, and then I looked at it and I was like, "That's a praying mantis." So I pulled my phone out. I didn't kill it. Um, I rolled the window down, uh, pulled the car over, and um, got out with it still on my chest. And then I took a picture of it, and then I sent it to Sarah. And I'm like, "This just landed on me." Oh wow! <laughs> and she's like, "That's an omen." She goes, "That's a good thing," and blah blah blah. And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "I don't believe in that stuff." So I, I carefully pulled it off of my chest and I put it into the grass and, and got back in the car and kept driving. But uh, yeah, a lot of good things happened that that month and do, following. Do you so. know that prey mantises catch hummingbirds? No way. Yeah, they catch hummingbirds, and then, if I understand it correctly, they they beak in through the back of the the hummingbird's head and suck their brains out. I don't believe that. Look at that, dude. <laughs> that is that's insane. There's, like how there's like, videos of it, dude. There's videos of it on YouTube. It's absolutely nuts. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you oh. wouldn't expect that a prey mantis could catch a hummingbird. Because they're, I don't know, slow, I guess, or yeah, exactly. Like, like a, vernacular for this one, but 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, oh, dude, that's so funny. But yeah, I know. Ever since then, like, I kind of got a little superstitious. But now, like, I, I just I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to scare it off by like sharing that photo with him. You are, you are the second. No, you are the third person to ever see that photo. I appreciate the, I appreciate the willingness to share it with me, and I will not do anything with that photo except to drool. <laughs> Once my season's over, you can share it or whatever. I'll, I'll post it up there and probably put a big old, either a happy face emoji or a sad face emoji. Depends on whether or not it's successful. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before in my life. Me neither. Me neither. And, uh, yeah, I've been, apparently I've been keeping them well fed and, and healthy all these years. Yeah, right? he's, I'm he's interested to see the 2015 picture. Oh yeah, I'll turn I'll turn that on once we're done with our interview. But yeah, it's oh, even back then I was like, how? Like I didn't know animals existed like this. Yeah. Uh huh. You see them, you see them on Instagram, and then you're like, oh, that's photoshopped. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, there's no way that there's no way that rack's that big. This got to be photoshopped. I'm like looking at the bow and the angle, and like I'm like, maybe the, maybe. The, Maybe it is Photoshop, or maybe it's not. I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> I just hit like and then keep going, you know? It's like, right. you got to like it. It's a big buck, you know? But yeah, I'm not by any means a trophy hunter. And so, like, it, you know, if I get up there and just take my time and play my cards right, um, I don't know. This might be, it's already past the 30 days. So I, I, if I stopped eating meat now, it's still not going to help. <laughs> I could shave my head still and <laughs> go the native route again. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm gonna try this year. Uh, we'll see how Thursday pans out. Um, I'm gonna. A lot is riding on Thursday. So. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're gonna do some fun stuff. You know, we're okay. we work with a we work with a a hunting apparel company. They make hats, t-shirts, hoodies, socks. Their socks actually, I, I use them every day. They're actually extremely comfortable. But um, their 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 name is Dead Eye Apparel. Or uh, okay. Jedi Outfitters. Um, so it's kind of, you know, just for like some fun, you know, break up the mood a little bit, you know, and and, uh, and uh, have a good time. So if you could know the absolute 100% truth about any conspiracy, what conspiracy would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> Um, is there aliens? Hey, Area Fifty-One alien? Like that's what I want to know. Like, is there genuinely like another life force that visits us on the regular? You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. You you know what's funny about that is we did, we talked about aliens on a silly podcast we did. It was like an unofficial barbecue podcast, but uh. One of the guys there, he actually was like, you know, if you think about it, they've been slowly normalizing aliens since the 70s, and they've always looked the same. The shape is always the same. Everything is always the same. So yeah. that way, and this was, his, this was his thought was, sure. when the aliens actually show up, it's like, hey, I've known you my whole life. I've seen you before in movies. I know exactly uh, what you... Uh, uh, 
normalizing it and to the point where when it actually happens it's already normal gotcha okay yeah okay so it's a good theory yeah right right yeah mine would be the jfk assassination but that's the story for yeah that'd be a good one too yeah right um so how do people look you up man um well right now social media wise it's it's just uh uh, PNW Hunter mm-hmm. and uh, Pacific Northwest Hunter. Um, this is my second account. I, I had a, another account, but uh, yeah, this is my uh, reincarnated, if you will, account. Mm-hmm. And um, other than that, fliptentmedia at gmail.com. That's uh, my email address if uh, you guys want to ever do any collaboration work. Um, or if you're just looking to get some photos taken, uh, lifestyle media, weddings, and product photography or specialties. Uh-huh. And that's that's pretty much it. Like, you know, I'm not a very hard guy to get a hold of. <laughs> yeah, right. Slide into but, the DM. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's all you got to do. Just give me a message on Instagram and pass along my contact info and move on from there. Right. So we'll end on this for concluding thoughts. Um, you know, getting into hunting in the last eight years more seriously, having it become more of a passion for you and uh, a real a real driving force behind life and, and kind of what you do. I mean, it's affected your existence on, on a daily basis. Um, what's been your biggest hurdle? With hunting, with, with, with uh, whatever you've learned about yourself and the whole process the transition to Colorado like yeah. like it, it that genuinely is the hardest thing to do because there's so many places to hunt in Colorado and so many units and even the laws are so much different over there versus Washington state like you know i mean i've had i've gone scouting and it's 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 a whole other world it genuinely is like high country mule deer hunting over there versus high country mule deer deer hunting in washington state two different planets like over there it's like you know 10k elevation over here the highest mountain is like 6800 7500 elevation and you know what i mean like it's just the the training involved as well um i did a lot of trail running until i fractured my leg but um yeah the transition into hunting in colorado has been the the the, so far the struggle for me and and i know i could be successful uh it's just a matter of putting in more time and effort into personally educating myself yeah and um that's kind of what i've been doing so yeah just the transition Hmm? right on man Right on. Well, dude, from Anthony and myself, thank you so much for being willing to come on the podcast, dude. I I really appreciate the time and energy that you were willing to put into this. And, uh, you know, I... Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I look forward to your success for, you know, your 2018 season. If that buck hits the ground, I want a (laughs) FaceTime phone call. And, yes. and like an immediate date that I can try and fly up there to see that. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God, that's insanity. Um, you know, but have a great, have a great season and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Yes, absolutely. You too, brother. Right on. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. 
If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.